Welcome to episode number 71 of the Grab Blogger Podcast. This is the podcast where we're helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies, and the techniques you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your background, around the change you want to make in the world, around the expertise that you achieved through university and graduate school. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to sell without being salesy in client conversations. We're doing that with Jennifer Van Alstein from theacademicdesigner.com and jennifervanalstein.com. That's A-L-S-T-Y-N-E.com. Jennifer, welcome back to the Grab Blogger podcast. We're excited to have you back on. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you about this. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. We had Jennifer on the podcast back in episode 68 talking about building her online business right out of grad school. We talked about her story, what she does at theacademicdesigner.com, how she finds clients, um, how she goes about creating content to attract people to what she does online. We had some really great conversations there. We actually had an interesting discussion afterwards, after recording that podcast episode, talking about what she calls discovery calls within her business at The Academic Designer and some of the history and experience that she has in that area. We thought that'd make a really great episode. So I know this is a, a pretty big thing that a lot of folks are doing nowadays. Application calls, discovery calls, coffee chats. They're all ways to start to interact with your clients, start to figure out their needs, start to figure out if there's even a fit there to begin with. Then you can recommend them into one of your products or even recommend them to another solution or provider that might be able to help them more. So it's a really great way to start that conversation, start that relationship, but it's kind of scary. Um, it can be nerve wracking, you know, to get on the phone or to get on a Zoom call with somebody where you know, even if your your end goal is only a little bit to sell and make money, you still know that that's the end goal. So it got some kind of nerve wracking component to it especially if you don't have experience. So that's what we're going to talk about with Jennifer today is how do you get that experience? Um, how does she use these type of conversations? What advice she has for people that are getting started to, to get more comfortable in this area? So Jennifer, we, we talked about your background in the previous podcast episode. I think for today's episode, a good place to kind of jump in is, is how do you use direct customer conversations in your business today online? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I, I do use those discovery calls. It's actually the first step to working with me, no matter what your project is. I actually feel that talking with someone um, and, and not, not necessarily emailing back and forth a lot of times is way more effective. It's going to get you the answers to the questions that you need and help you really understand what your client's goals are. Because honestly, in email, they don't always know. And so being able to talk to them and ask them the right questions makes a huge difference for me. So I do do discovery calls. Um, when someone emails me or gets in touch via social media, I just say, oh, hey, thanks so much for reaching out. I would love to set up some time to talk with you. Please choose a time on my scheduler at your convenience and uh, we'll talk face-to-face -face on Zoom. And now that Zoom has become more regular, of course, because of coronavirus, people are more used to it. When I first started out, they definitely were uncomfortable um, and, and preferred talking on the phone. Uh, but honestly, as a business owner, as a solopreneur, I, I kind of wanted to keep my phone as a separate thing. Like I, I definitely give out my phone number to clients once they've signed a contract with me, but I don't necessarily want people calling me um, at all hours of the day because I do have a global audience and I work with people all around the world. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a great way to start that relationship. I do it with uh, coaching clients as, a, as an application process, really see if we are the right fit, if I can help them the way I envision, and if they are looking for the type of help that, that I provide. Otherwise, I might say, hey, there's another provider that does this kind of thing over here. The other side of it is for the business owner, this is how you get your, your intellectual property around customer insights. 
So you should probably be taking pretty good notes during these because you get to really dive into your difficulties, your struggles, and your your challenges that your clients have in their own words. And it's really powerful. Even if you don't end up with a client out of that direct conversation, as you collect these up, then you become more powerful is the only word I can think of. We have more intellectual property in this area from these conversations. So it's really important that way. Do you find that with doing the same thing within your business that you you know, are, are collecting these tidbits of information about your clients through these these discussions as well? Yeah, I actually um, record all of my discovery calls and I, I actually share that recording with them at the end because oftentimes our conversation brings up things that they might not have considered before. And I always include at least one tip or suggestion. Uh, so that's something that I want them to have access to long-term. It's also a really great way for people to eventually make decisions about hiring me if they can remember, oh, hey, I had a great conversation with Jennifer and I can go make sure that I had a great conversation with Jennifer because I can listen to the recording that is going to help them um, process how how well they want to work with me and how good that fit is. Yeah, I love that. And it seems like an almost an obvious thing when you say it, but you know, not a lot of people do it right out of the gate. Where did your, your experience from doing this type of client conversation come from in your background? So I would say... I, I, again, like I said last time, I don't have a background in business. Like I, I didn't get a business degree. I'm not coming from a marketing background. I uh, was an English major and then went to grad school for English and writing. But I did have a retail background, which told me that customer conversations, direct conversations with people makes a huge difference in understanding them. So I knew right off the bat that as my goal was both market research and, and understanding the people I was trying to help and also being able to help them directly when they contacted me, since all of those were my goals, it seemed like a good fit. But I didn't start out that way. When I first started my business, I didn't know about you know integrating Zoom or having all of these calendars and the options for kind of making this more of a system and, and making it an approach to clients. I feel like I was very anxious in the beginning. And so I had just like an email contact contact form. And I kind of expected that maybe the majority of the process would take place over email because people just wanted something quick. But I realized after talking with a couple of people that they really need more guidance than that. And it needs to be real time. Otherwise, honestly, it's taking up way too much of my time. Sending back and forth emails can sometimes take forever. It can take weeks. It's just too much work in in the long run. And I didn't realize that when I first started, I should have recognized that having those conversations, even though they're scary, really benefits both of us the best. Yeah, I'd agree. And I don't know if we mentioned at the outset, but is this just for your academic designer website that you're, you're doing these type of discovery calls or are you using it for elsewhere as well? Um, no, I'm just using it. I, I just have my business for, for the academic designer. Um, when I do have like media connections and like someone wants to talk about a speaking engagement or a workshop, then they'll also use the same system. Because again, it's faster for me to talk with them one-on-one -on -one than it is to go back and forth a lot of times via email. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, it's what it is because we talked about your background in the previous podcast episode, but we didn't mention that it's really helping academics design websites get on social media and there's there's a couple things you do at the academic designer but it seems like everything's funneled through these discovery calls to to figure out you know is it a good fit and and where can we fit in and help each other 
Yeah, I also think, I, I know I mentioned that my background, my background in retail, I worked in a high-end women's clothing store where our goal was really long-term clients. We wanted people who are coming back again and again, not just stopping in for one thing, but they're buying a wardrobe. Like they're coming back because they think of us every time they have a date or an event or, you know, a presentation that they they need an outfit for. And so that that's kind of a different mentality than some places when when you're thinking about someone walking in the door your goal is maybe to sell them a shirt or or the shoes that they're looking for but when you talk to them sometimes you realize that they're actually looking for more than that and and sometimes it's a physical thing right they're looking for an outfit but oftentimes it's they're looking for confidence or they're looking to feel comfortable in in the outfit that they're wearing. And so recognizing that there was maybe a disconnect between a traditional sales process and having these kind of conversations where you're actually looking to understand your client, that made a huge difference for me when it came to approaching my business. Yeah, I love that. And I I call that the difference between product focus and customer focus. Mm, That's great. You're not just selling them a a widget or a t-shirt. But you're you're more focused on them. What do they need? What result do they want? What solution are they trying to achieve? And the thing that you said to me when we were offline that kind of rung bells is somebody came into your store to buy a pair of shoes. You wouldn't automatically start talking about the product and the shoes and how nice they are and whatever non-slip grip or I don't know whatever features of the product. <laughs> but it'd be more like you know what are you what are you wearing these to? What what kind of event are you looking for? What are you trying to you know pull off as an attire? approach and then and then by the end of it they may be saying well you know maybe i do need a dress or i need something else in addition do you see that as really a helpful frame to to focus on the customer instead of just you know i I gotta sell this these two hours of design work Yeah, it's all about the customer. I mean, the the customers that we had at our store came back for our clothes, but they also came back for us, for, for the stylists and our opinions, because we were always honest with them. If they put on something that made them feel great and we didn't think that it looked great, like we'd be honest, even if that wasn't the nicest thing to hear, because they need to hear other people's opinions and, and understand that they're not just being, I don't know, like complacent or 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 they're not just getting sales salesy people who are trying to sell them something. Like they, they want honest opinions. And I think that that's true of all clients, like not, not just in retail, but in, in, in the service industry for me, people want me to be honest with them and they want me to tell them when they're wrong, because oftentimes academics have these opinions about, about web, websites or social media that are miss. Um, I need to be able to, to have that conversation in person. It doesn't come across very well in email. So those direct conversations just help me understand them, help me be able to ask them questions and, and give them an honest response that's not in a mean way because sometimes in email, things can be really misconstrued. Yeah, and I'll give a couple examples of using these to guide the conversation as well and to, for some uh, reconnaissance so you, you know what you're kind of walking into. I mean, I've had the case where um, an advertiser will will reach out or a potential advertiser for dust safety science for advertising membership there. Um, and one of the questions I like to include in that initial customer conversation is essentially some version of, you know, who's making the decision here. Uh, the reason why is if it's not them, you want to sort of know that at the start of the conversation because you know that the end result of that conversation is going to be, okay, I need to take this to my boss and get it signed off, which is a totally different conversation than, no, I'm ready. I have the checkbook in hand. I'm ready to go. And you think of it as, you know, if you're purchasing a car, and you go in, the, the the car salesman should really be asking that question so that they know whether or not, you're looking to buy a car today, whether you're looking to buy a car in six months from now, whether you need to go home and talk with the family first, 
whether or not maybe you're purchasing a car for your you know 16 year old son versus one that your your wife's going to be driving to work or your husband those are all different circumstances so you really want to narrow into you know what is the the conversation that we're having here and there's some other things you can do with framing that's really helpful as well like somebody starts right on price um well how much does this cost you can kind of steer in the way like well let's talk about that but first i want to make sure you're you you're looking for the right solution so you know maybe you maybe you're trying to buy a, a two-door car but you're buying it for your family and you you have little kids it's like well it doesn't matter what the price of the two-door car is because it's not even that helpful for you you probably want to look at the four-door car or something that's bigger try to think of an example in advertising it's it's quite similar like maybe the incident report that we release and doing magazine style advertising isn't the right thing for them. So before we even get in on price, let's, you know, dial back. And, and in our case, a lot of time it's usually full and we have wait lists a lot. So even before, you know, they say, well, how, how expensive is that going to be? It's like, well, just wait one second. We need to make sure you get on the wait list that we even have space for you to come and advertise on this. And that, that right there switches the whole conversation is then they realize, oh, you know, well, it's not about price anymore. It's about availability, which is a much stronger position to be having these conversations from. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point. And and um, just for an example, I don't talk about price during my discovery calls. It doesn't matter what your project is. I'm not going to talk about price with you during the call. And that does really make a huge difference in changing the conversation. I think people do expect to have a conversation about price right off the bat. But when I set that expectation, not like when they're scheduling their appointment, that's noted in the form that they fill out, that's noted. And then again, at the beginning of the call, I say, hey, I have some questions for you. It'll help me best understand how I can help you. And then at the end, we can talk about next steps. Setting those expectations in writing and com like communicating what to expect during that meeting makes a huge difference because people come in and they're like, okay, I'm prepared to answer some questions and have a conversation and figure out what, what I need. And that's a different approach from, I think, the people who are emailing and being like, can you send me your price list? I just need to make a decision based on that. 100%. I agree. Any other advice for someone who's coming into this sort of new, I mean, reframing conversations is is a good one to have in there. It's probably on the end of maybe the, the advanced end of the spectrum, although it's effective. If somebody asks you for a price and you say, well, let's just make sure there's a spot for you first. <laughs> That's a great way to uh, yeah. <laughs> you know change the conversation completely. Um, but any other tips for somebody that's uh, maybe not even comfortable getting started in this area or to have these sort of discussions? Yeah. So for me, having um, I use Acuity for my scheduler. And one of the things that it allows you to do is add in a form where they're um, filling out questions that you specify. When I first started out, I got a lot of advice. Don't have a complex form. People aren't going to fill it out. And, and uh, you know, you're not going to book as many meetings. And I thought, well, that's probably true. But I really need I need more information so that I can prepare for the meetings properly. I need to be able to ask the right questions. And how am I going to do that if all I have is their name. Of course, I can do, like I'm capable of doing research and finding out a lot of stuff online, but that takes a lot of time. So if I'm going to be dedicating not only the 20 or 30 minutes it takes for this discovery call, but the time to prepare, 
honestly, I need, I need a little bit more from the person that I'm meeting too. So I do have a little bit of a longer form than some people um, when it comes to booking appointments with me. I want to know a little bit about you. If you're a professor who is, you know, looking for an academic website or social media, um, a copy of your CV is really going to help me understand what some of your goals might be. And I also need things like what your estimated budget is, if you have one, if you have social media links or, or a website, like I need that kind of information. And once I have that, that meeting's going to go awesome. I'm definitely going to be able to steer in the right direction to help, you know, my clients understand what their goals are, what their motivations are, and why doing a project with me would be beneficial. And without that information, it takes me a lot longer. It's, it's a lot more anxiety provoking to go into that meeting. And frankly, everyone who has come to the meeting and filled out that form, doing that work first has made them more invested in the meeting. They're like, okay, I filled out that form. I gave, I gave her a lot of information. Let's see how, how well this meeting goes. And then when it goes well as well as they expected, they're very happy to move on to the next step with me. Yeah, and I, I wrote a couple notes there. I mean, it, it takes longer without getting this information first. It's more anxiety-provoking, better outcome for you and for them. And and I had started their wrong customer. And, and right at the end, you kind of you mentioned that it's, it's possible that the people that don't have the time or don't want to take the time to fill out the form are your the people that are going to have the most headaches as a customer anyway. Well, they probably wouldn't be happy working with me because I do need to schedule meetings with them where we talk about things more in depth and I need to get answers to questions to make decisions on their websites or social media. So if they're not willing to put in, you know, five or 10 minutes to fill out a form so that I can meet with them effectively, they're unlikely to prepare for those meetings as well as I'd like them to. Yeah, that's perfect. I think on your discovery call system, I can picture the audience right now getting excited about doing this and we gave them some of the, the the system but can you maybe just walk us through point a point b point c on how someone books a call with you and actually what happens in the what's automatic and and what's manual of course so most people find me by you know looking at looking on google or social media i do inbound marketing which means that a lot of my customers are approaching me the way that that happens is once they get to my website they are led to a contact page and that contact page lets them know right off the bat what the steps are to working with me step 1 is getting in touch via email that's followed by setting up an appointment to meet with me in zoom and if we are a good fit for working together i will send along a contract and invoice and, and a proposal, apologies. I'd send along a proposal first and after that, a contract and invoice if that's something that they're interested in. Um, so by having that process laid out right on the contact page, most of the people who are actually emailing me to schedule that appointment are already aware of what to expect. Once they email me, I send along a scheduling link to my Acuity calendar. And it's a direct scheduling link to this particular type of appointment. So it's set for 20 minutes or actually 30 minutes. And then I've also blocked off time before and after in case I need to set up or prepare um, from a different meeting. The Acuity calendar will automatically update my Google calendar and it will automatically make an appointment in Zoom. So it's really easy for me to have that automated and I don't really need to think about it too much. The only thing I need to do at that point is send that link to the person who wants to meet with me. 
then once they have the link, they can go to it and pick a time on my schedule that works for them. And so I have a, a later schedule for myself because I'm in central time zone. Uh, but again, I work with people all around the world. So the best times for people to meet with me are from about 12 to 7 p.m. And so they're able to choose that like Monday through Friday, whatever works in their schedule. And people really like that flexibility. Acuity is also great because it allows people to change their appointment if they need to. Things come up all the time, especially for professors. So having the ability to change or cancel your appointment without me having to be like emailing back and forth and rescheduling the calendar session and like making sure that everything's updated makes that like not a headache for me because that, that would have been too many little touch points just to set a meeting for me. So I like having all of that built in. Having that automated is my favorite system. Acuity will also send them um, a confirmation email right when they fill out the form. And then again, uh, a reminder email the day before and an hour before a meeting. So that makes it really easy for people to remember. And actually, I noticed that when I didn't have those email reminders set, people definitely ghosted me or didn't show up. And then I emailed them and be like, hey, we had this meeting. And, and they'd say, oh, I totally forgot. Can we reschedule? Um, so by having those reminder emails, um, I have less that significantly. Now the only people who, who don't end up showing up for the meeting are, are generally people who've changed their mind about needing my services in the first place. Which are exactly the people that you probably don't want to meet, meet with. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not, they're not actually interested in working with me. So, so not meeting with them is, is better and they can reach out when they're ready again. I totally see it. Like if you're, if you're not interested in having that first call with me, you're probably not interested in working with me long-term and that's fine. Maybe there's another project on the road that will that will be a good fit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We talked about, you know, why these are and this is framework I like a lot. Why, how, what, and, and what if, but we talked about why you would consider doing these discovery calls, application calls, you know, beginning calls at the start of a relationship. We talked about how, what does the process look like? I want to talk about in in the actual call itself, to use a specific framework or approach or operating procedure when you're doing these client calls? Can you kind of share what what that looks like? I do. So like I mentioned, I, I do do some background kind of research and see who my client is, what, what might benefit them. Um, I generally have an idea of what services I will offer them. Even though someone might reach out because they're interested in a website, uh, I might go and see that they might need social media help too, or help with something else like a media kit. So having having those ideas going into the meeting gives me something to talk about um, towards the end of the call. But most of the call is actually spent with questions. And I prepare these questions in advance. Um, and they're all designed to help me understand how I can help with their project or if I'm even the right person to help with their project. That's things like, just right at the beginning, I say, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about why you got in touch with me today. Um, sometimes those bring up different things than what, what their email, their initial email said or what their form said. So even, even though I have that information, asking them again has always been beneficial. I ask more details about what they're interested in. If they're interested in a website project, I, I ask if they've had a website. I ask how long they've had a website. If they've never had a website, I ask them why. Um, all of these questions are, are, are going to change depending on the client because not everyone is approaching me at the same space. Like some people have websites, some people don't, some people um, are on social media and some people aren't. 
And being able to tailor those questions to the person who I'm actually talking with makes a huge difference. And of course, now that I've talked with so many people, a lot of those questions I see are repeating and I'm able to just pull from like a a larger question bank and then add in just a few really personalized questions that are, are specifically for that individual. And that makes a huge difference when it comes to guiding that conversation. I no longer feel anxious on those calls because I, I, I know what I'm going to ask next. I know what I need to know. Like, like I'm not asking questions just to ask questions. I'm asking questions to better understand where, where, where we can work together. Yeah, I like that a lot. And you mentioned sort of tell me why you, you know, why you reached out to me. Um, how can I help? Those are like good starting questions. Also, why now is a good starting question. So why, why today? Yeah, I always ask about timeline. Because you kind of, yeah, you want to know what's changed to make them want to reach out to you today. Well, my super, my graduate supervisor said that I have to build this website. Is a you know that's a really good answer. It's a totally different answer than, well, I thought you know having a website might be a might be an interesting thing to do. One suggests a short timeline with a um, authorization required, and the other answer requires a long timeline with kind of wishy washy and you know less chance of something happening right away. Yeah. And then asking those questions also helps you understand what their budget is, what their time availability is. Like if they're super busy and they don't have time for everything, they need more done for you services than someone um, who has the time and wants to learn how to do it themselves. So for me, asking those questions help me gauge where they're at and, and you know, why this is important to them. So that could be around like the, we'll call it the introduction. If you want to break into three pieces or so the introduction part of the call, the part in the middle that I like or the framework I try to use is to get an idea of what they, you know, what they want, what's the end result they're looking for. And this is usually really exciting. They start talking really fast and, you know, they're they're really into whatever the end outcome is. Then you want to kind of bring it back to, okay, well, where are we at today? What's the current status? Do you have any websites? This is the first one you've done. And then where where you come in as a solution provider, result provider is the gap. So, okay, well, that's where you want to go. This is where we're at today. Here's the the steps that you need to get there, and this is how I can help, or you know maybe it's not fit, and, and this is how uh, you know I see you moving forward. But I like to try to heard the the analysis of an elastic band. So as you as you have this conversation, you want to find out the the end result. So that's holding one end of the band, and then you want to find where that today, and that's holding another end. And so you sort of want to stretch it. So what is the gap, the steps from where they are today, where they want to go, and that gives you an idea. Then you know what are the pros the parts that you can be involved in and helping to get that end solution. Yeah, I would say that my my calls are not quite as detailed as that. And I think that's because I continue the conversation into the proposal stage. I spend most of my discovery call with the introductory questions and and, and some more like in-depth questions about specifics if they're if they're a little bit further along and thinking about their projects, like what what they're what they're looking for exactly. Um, I do try to get that down. But for the most part, my goal for the conversation is to meet them, to be able to put a face to the name and make sure that they they know that I'm like a real person and I'm, I can have a real conversation with them about what, what they want. And also trying to see if we're the, the right fit for, for moving forward, because not everyone is going to be the right fit. And not everyone is going to have the timeline that's going to work for you too. Like there's lots of people who will approach me and say, I need this by next week, but I I usually book about a month, sometimes two months out. And so, so like those, those are things that I need to know. And so I can 
definitely guide the conversation at the end to say, hey, maybe you you should be looking somewhere else and, and here's what, what I recommend for you moving forward. But for me, at the end of the call, really, I just ask, are, are you interested in working with me? <laughs> like, I can definitely help you with this. Are you interested in working with me? And you can really tell like who's going to work with you or not, because at that point, like you haven't even necessarily specified with the service or the cost, but they're like, yes, yes, I want to work with you. Yes. Um, and that it's super, it's super, if you ever had imposter syndrome, when you're going into a call and you get that kind of response, it's just exactly what you want to hear because it means that you've connected, you've understood how to help them and they know that you know how to help them. Like that's the difference. So maybe you won't end up working together because the price doesn't work out, but that's, you know, that's a different issue than them wanting to work with you. So I always ask that question and then I let them know the next steps, which is that I'm going to review the conversation we had in my notes that I'm going to Think, spend some time putting together a proposal and then I'll get that to them usually the next week. So then they have time to think about our call after the meeting. I have time to reflect and, and brainstorm some ideas. And um, it's not really a rushed process. Like I don't have a rushed sales process. And honestly, it's helped professors and academics have more time to make those decisions and get things like the funding, you know, any funding or budgetary issues figured out before they actually receive my proposal. Really, uh, really good to even hear about the final part. You know, what does the last step of this process look like? Um, and I think, you know, given everything we talked about today, you know, would you like to work together is a, is, is like a great way to do it. <laughs> um, what are the next steps? And you're really, like you said, looking for that heck yes. And it is really, it is an enthusiastic yes. It's it's a very big difference between the people who are like, yeah, like I'll definitely take a look at a proposal from you. I mean, those people definitely have still ended up working with me once they see the proposal. But when you get that, yes, I for sure want to work with you. I, you know, you're the person that I've been thinking would be a great fit. And now that we've talked, I'm sure of it. Like that is, it's just so rewarding. And I would, and this is uh, referring maybe even back to our previous episode, and you mentioned inbound marketing. I call it sometimes pull and push marketing. If you're doing this pull marketing where people are coming to you, you're much more likely to have that heck yes answer because they've listened to you. They've seen your content. They're excited. Um, they're finally getting a chance to talk to you. And, and um, you demonstrate that you have the goods, that, you've, you know, that you're the real deal, that you're a real person, that you can really help. And you know, it's much easier to get this heck yes. And I give an example. Like I've, I follow people online for years and then maybe they'll have a, you know, a conference and I won't even look at the sales page. It's like, yes, you know, go, go buy and book my flights because I know that that person's going to deliver. Um, so it's like ultra heck. Yes. I even, I skipped the conversation altogether because <laughs> I, I know it's going to be that good. <laughs> you, you'd already decided. <laughs> keep creating that content, keep getting your voice out there and you'll, you'll generate these, uh, Pat Flynn would call them super fans, but people that just, you know, would, would really be interested in being involved in anything that you're, you're creating and putting into the world. And that makes this whole conversation even easier at the end of the day. It does. And what I would, what I would say is like for inbound marketing, it's definitely slower, right? Like it's definitely slower for, for me to get leads than if I was reaching out to people directly and um, being a little bit more forward and salesy with, with how I approach the people who connect with me on social media specifically. But because I chose that kind of inbound path, because I chose more organic marketing as well, it's a little bit different. Like I, I, when I first started out, I definitely had those, you know, kind of super 
super fans building. And, and I definitely had people approach me after say six months or even nine months and say, Hey, I've been following you forever. And I know that I want to work with you now. But one of the things that I've seen more recently, which is super exciting, is that that time frame has shortened significantly. I have professors in other parts of the world now who are like, I saw your tweet and now I'm reaching out today. <laughs> and that, that makes a huge difference because it means that when they are coming to my website and when they are you know, able to look at my blog and, and you know, my portfolio and my case studies, they're actually seeing the, the stuff that they, they need to make that decision. And that, that, that's turning over in like a week now as opposed to like you know, six or nine months. And that's all about the content that I've created and how I'm talking about myself and, and my work online. Awesome. Well, hopefully somebody's listening to this podcast episode and is interested in having their, their website designed, help and, and built and social media understanding because Jennifer's a real deal. She can help you here. So if you're listening, then uh, there's a good plug there to, to get to know her as well. Yeah. And if you do reach out, I promise to prepare for your meeting. I really do. I, I prepare and I, I think about it a lot. I love it. Anything else just closing off? I mean, this has been really a, a wall-to-wall packed interview, I think, for in terms of actionable advice and actually doing things. Um, if, if someone's interested to learn more about you and your work and, and what you do in the space of, of your businesses, where, where should they go to find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, sharing advice about social media, about websites, and managing your online presence in academia. If you're looking for in-depth articles and advice, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and theacademicdesigner.com slash blog. That's where I have all of my kind of in-depth how-to articles and guides, as well as feature interviews with people like Chris, who joined me for my show recently. So definitely check it out. And uh, yeah, I want to say thank you for coming on and hopefully we'll get you back on the, the podcast for the three P in the near future. I'd love it. Awesome. Thanks, Jennifer. Talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Jennifer Van Alstein from theacademicdesigner.com and jennifervanalstein.com. That's A-L-S-T-Y-N-E.com. We've been talking around how to sell without being salesy in client conversations. We've really been talking about having customer-facing discussions with your, your potential clients in order to demonstrate, in order to build a relationship, in order to demonstrate how you can help them, which is a, a really good way to get clients and, and one side of the fence, but also to maintain and grow relationships with them on the other side of the fence as well. We talked about some of the first steps here in terms of setting up your discovery call, why we might consider it. We gave a, a bunch of tips um, being customer focused instead of product focused. So you're not trying to sell them a course, you're not trying to sell them your membership, you're not trying to sell them X, Y, or Z. Um, it's more about what result are they looking for, what solution are they trying to achieve, and where does what you do fit in with them. That's a you know a better frame to look at it. We talked about being solutions focused. We talked about some tips and tricks around figuring out who the decision maker is in the relationship, uh, and that will help you from determining what best way to frame what you're doing, what the next steps would be. Jennifer gave a really good hint here. She mentioned in her call she doesn't even talk about price. That's a, a great way to do it. I mean, and it makes sense if you're doing a service space business, people would expect a proposal anyway to kind of break things down. I gave another tip if somebody comes out, you right with price, have some ways to deflect that and, and turn it around into value, um, which is a much more stronger position to be to be uh, on the side of the business owner in. Um, we talked about other aspects around the processes need. Um, Jennifer uses Acuity. She has a pretty detailed form, which really helps her get ready for the, the meeting. Also filters out some people that maybe don't want to give as much information that would be helpful during the relationship. 
and also, you know, saves time. We actually listed four things. So it, it decreases the amount of time, decreases anxiety, it filters out some of the potential problematic customers, um, and it gets a better outcome for you and your client to have, uh, you know, these, these one-on-one conversations with the prerequisite knowledge already out there and in, in, in between the two of you. And at the end, we talked through some different types of frameworks. I mean, introduction, body, conclusion, that, that's how you write every academic paper we've ever written. So that's probably the, the universal frame. But what does the introduction look like? And, you know, what does the middle part look like? I think that comes around, what is your goal? Is your goal to, to submit a proposal to them? Is your goal to see if it's the best fit? And you can really tailor that middle part to that being the outcome. And at the end of the day, it's just a matter of, you know, are you interested in working together? What might you, what do you think the next steps might be? Um, those are great ways to close off and finalize that conversation. And that was it really for the, the podcast interview. We did talk about how having a content-driven inbound marketing or, or pull marketing type of business and website where you're you're seen as an authority as expert, which I think is a a great place for academics to be where you you in in a lot of cases are, you know, an expert in your field. To be seen as that as online is a really great way to also increase this conversation. Start getting people value before you even get to talk to them in, in person, before we have that sales conversation. So that I would encourage you to check out Jennifer. I mean find her on Twitter and Instagram at higher ed PR. You look up her, her YouTube channel, we'll have uh, links in the show notes at grablar.com slash 71 for this episode as always we'll put together a nice pdf transcript that you can download um, and read through these notes you can search it that's the way i usually use the transcripts as download it control f search for the word i was trying to find and then you know you can break down that whole conversation really great way to do it and other than that i hope you have a, a great week ahead have a lot of success building your your business this week look forward to bringing you the next episode of the podcast either a solo show or with a, another great guest like we had jennifer on today 